Welcome in to another edition of the Doyle and Derek podcast here at IndyStar.com. I'm your host, Derek Schultz. But the star of the show, as always, is Greg Doyle, and he is still a celebrity. I am not any longer because I've lost full-time media employment, and he's showing off today with his tie-dye celebrity softball challenge shirt. <laughs> Looks good. Yeah, I... Uh... I went to the, I went to the, played in the game a couple years ago and and hit off uh, Robert Mathis. I didn't get a hit, but I that was fun. I'll never do it again because um, it's embarrassing. Uh, have you ever played in that thing? Yeah, I actually did it the year that you did it after begging for an invite, jokingly for years, and uh, I singled off of T. Y. Hilton. But that was the I want to say that was the infamous year of the Paul George dugout interview and then subsequent subsequent trade within a week, if I'm not mistaken. I think that was twenty. 17, wasn't it? Whatever. It was definitely that year. And all I remember about that specifically is that is that Paul George was asked about staying with the Pacers. And he said, I'm a Pacer for now. That's it. Or they've got my contract. Or he said, whatever he said, it was very clear he didn't want to be here. And everybody heard the words, I'm a Pacer, and thought that that's what he said. And, and I don't like Paul George. I don't like him at all. And he's kind of a caricature of a very mentally soft athlete. But in that one instance, he got a bad rap. But nonetheless, I played in that damn game, and uh, I say damn game. It's for a great cause. The Carolyn Sims uh, Foundation is a great cause. But I played in it and realized this is embarrassing. Like, uh, I'm not a celebrity. You know, Miles Turner's out there. Mathis is out there. Bigger bit McAfee, whoever. Like, I don't need to be out here. Because that just by walking to the plate – kind of implies that I agree that I belong and I die stupid. I, I'm never doing it again. <laughs> well, if uh, if we can make a connection to the Colts, your at-bat was like week one against Jacksonville, and my successful at-bat was like week two against Minnesota. How about that for a bounce-back performance, huh? Very nice. Yeah, you know, whatever verbs we used uh, in week one, we could almost write the same story and just change like wasn't to was and – isn't to is and can't to can because it was just the opposite deal. They they went from looking like a team that had been overhyped in the preseason, just really odd. I mean, it was odd how bad they looked. It was odd. I mean, I, no one that I know saw that game and thought, yep, I thought this team would suck. We all watched that game and went, what? What, what was that? Because this team is better than that. What was that? And then they play Minnesota and we see, oh, okay, they were better than that. That's what it is. Yeah, I, I was – the best part about that win, Greg, was that I felt like it was a dominating performance, yet, I mean, you tell me. I didn't think the Colts played an A game. I thought they left points out there. I, they struggled in the red zone again. I mean, I thought that very easily could have been like a 42-10 to 10 game, really. Uh, and th- defensively, okay, I'll give them an A, um, even though I think some of that was just Minnesota was just completely lost. Like, I don't know what the heck they were doing out there. But it, what I was most encouraged by was that I didn't feel like the Colts played like a fluky – perfect, nothing went wrong game. I thought actually there were plenty of things that went wrong, yet they still just crushed the Vikings. Yeah, yeah, they, they threw a pick. And, uh, I mean, they, they weren't they had 100 yards of penalties against them. So they clearly were not perfect at all. And you're right, the red zone, I mean, Frank Reich afterwards was saying, you know, they played well and he was happy about it. But third downs, they weren't good. He was right, they were not good on third downs. And red zone, they were not good. And he was right, they were not good. So – lot to work on, and we don't know how good Minnesota is or how bad they are. Um, this early in the year, you can drive yourself nuts trying to figure it out. Like, uh, I mean, they look terrible in this game, terrible. But the week before, against a Green Bay team that's 2-0, and you know, they, they scored 30-something points. So, and Green Bay might be pretty good. So, I, you just don't know what it means 
you just know that they're one and one, and one game looked surprisingly bad, and one game looked like that's kind of what we thought we'd see this year. I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I'm still, you know, 12 and four, 11 and five. I can see it. That's their blueprint, though. Like, kind of what you wrote, and I think that was what was so disheartening about week one is that not only did the Colts lose, they throw 46 times, and you're like, wait a minute, this isn't the team that they were advertised to be. And then the next week, it's exactly the team who you thought the Colts were going to be with the, the power run and run, 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 and then a playmaking defense, which really has been the, the big thing lacking in the Colts' defense the last couple of years is just the ability to turn the ball over and make plays. Yeah, you know, I, I give Frank Reich a whole lot of credit um, because after game one, he said, "This, you know, this is my fault. I, I called bad plays and I called too many runs and, you know, I, I got away from it and my fault. And, and he said the same thing about one of the picks that Rivers threw. And and I like Pagano. We, we always start it with, I like Chuck. But Chuck was famous for accepting blame, but kind of in that meathead coach's way where you kind of stick your jaw out and say, my fault, blame me. But you don't explain why. Because it's almost like you don't really believe it's your fault, but you just kind of think you ought to say it. Like, if you remember, <laughs> of course you remember, it's your pinned tweet, that great, 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 great fake punt with Colt McCoy and all that. You know, Pagano said correctly, that was my fault, blame me, but he never told us why. Um, because the truth of why it was his fault was so bad that if we'd known why it was his fault, we would have all wanted him to be fired right then. Because as it turns out, you know, that play hinges on the snapper. The snapper has to know what's going on at all times. You either snap the ball or you don't. And it turns out Cole McCoy was never supposed to be the snapper. That uh, Who was it? That that often injured? Um, Griff Whalen? No, no. Clayton Gathers. Gathers was supposed to be the snapper. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yes. Uh, yeah, the, Gathers the was, and he was, was, was too Whalen. Right. And he, yeah. Clayton was – Gathers was injured. And so with no practice at all, they put a guy out there for a trick play who had no idea what to do. And so, yeah, Chuck was right. Chuck, that was your fault, but he didn't explain why. Frank Reich says things are my fault and then explains exact, exactly why. Like he explained Rivers' pick the other day, last week, first game, in a way that I didn't even understand it. And I, so I didn't even try to get into it. But he said, you know, the, if you call this play on this side of the field, the quarterback does this. If you call on that, anyway, so I, I like that Reich said, my fault, we're going to run the ball, and you see what happened. Yeah, you feel for Colt Anderson because it was completely not his fault. Uh, he was not told what to do, and I think he just assumed that he had to snap the ball. And then if, if I'm not mistaken, Greg, it was Pat McAfee who went on Bob and Tom like two days later who gave the whole rundown of how that went. And I'm sure that didn't sit very well with uh, the Colts front office and the Colts brass that the punter was going on there and making them look really stupid. But um, it's, I mean, it's just an amazing moment in Colts history. It should forever be treasured. The fake pun. <laughs> Everybody knows exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, let's get, let's get back into positives. Um, a lot of individual performances, I think, to point at, but one of the big ones um, and a guy that the Colts invested a lot in with the big trade and then the big contract, I thought the D-line in general was fantastic, but DeForest Buckner, you know, making his presence felt in his second game as a Colt. Yeah, and and Buckner did what everybody said, a great three technique, what Chris Ballard has always said, not necessarily Buckner, but yeah, Buckner, but, but the, the, a great three technique, which is the defensive tackle position he plays drives the whole thing and makes everybody better and or, or he doesn't and if he's not good enough then your whole defense is just not good enough because that one guy has to command a double team it starts right there he has to command a double team and actually still do things despite the double team if you can do both if you can be so good they put two guys on you and you can still do some damage that makes everybody better it's like what they say about you know the great basketball players aren't just great in their own right, but they make everybody better. Like like Dominique Wilkins didn't make anybody better. He was great, but he, he didn't do anything for anybody. But he was great. 
um, but Buckner is great, and he makes everybody else better. So yeah, that it all starts right there. That defensive performance, and I, I just you know Kirk Cousins has a track record. He and the previous week they scored thirty something points. So you combine the fact that they scored thirty plus points one week earlier, and Kirk Cousins has. And I, I looked this up. I couldn't believe this in NFL history. He's got three of the 25 best single-season completion percentages yeah. of all time. Yeah, and I, he's I, I, extremely accurate. Right, and I realize those stats are skewed towards this year. I mean, not this year, but skewed towards the present and all that. But still, three of the top 24, and the Colts made him 11 for 26. And he was 6 for 20 until he got hot at the end when they were kind of just prevent defense, take whatever you want, we're going to run the clock out on you. So that was an incredible defensive performance, period. No ands or buts about it. Any other individuals that you wanted to mention that really jumped out to you? Well, how about uh, Rodrigo Blankenship making four kicks? You know, we, I mean, in a way he took, you know, he he was given four easy ones. 44 is not easy, but he was given four fairly, but he made them all. And when you're a kicker, it's either in your head or it's not. You're either going to bounce back from a miss or you're not. And they brought in a kicker, tried the guy out, put him on the scout team. And we get it that that with COVID, you, you might want to have two kickers. But still, that was nonetheless – they didn't do that before week one. So, nonetheless, that was a message to Rodrigo. You can't keep missing. I like that, and I like that Luke Rhodes. I like Luke Rhodes. He's just a neat guy. He's a neat story, which I've never told and don't even really know. I just know he played linebacker at William & Mary, and now he's a long snapper in the NFL. That's a great story. I like the fact that he got down the field and down that ball to one. That changed the whole game. You know, The, the Colts are winning 7-3, to three, I think. They are 7-3, to three, punting the ball away. If the ball goes in the end zone, I mean, who knows? You know, Minnesota wasn't doing much on offense, but we'll never know. But instead of that, they get the ball in the two, get a safety. It's 9-3. They get the ball back, kick the field goal. And now the game's kind of just – it's all—it's on a long march towards being over. And it started with Luke Rhodes making that play. So he, he deserves some credit. Yeah, the safety felt like kind of the, what started the tidal wave. And then uh, the Vikings got swept up in that. And then there was there was – no coming up for air after that. The Colts just completely suffocated them. Yeah, I really liked what Blankenship did. I thought that all all four of those balls just looked really good. They were well struck. Um, Reggie Wayne used to have this saying, look good, play good. So you never have to worry about that with um, Rodrigo. You know, he's always going to look good. So hopefully he'll play good as well. When it comes <laughs> I thought to you were talking about – yeah, I thought you were talking about Luke Rhodes. I was smiling because I thought you meant him. You're right. Rodrigo looked good, play good. But uh, No, hey, Luke Luke's Rhodes. a handsome guy too. Well, he's a handsome guy, but more than that is he kind of knows it. Um, and I don't know Luke at all, but um, <laughs> I've been in locker room enough to know that. I mean, look, he, and maybe this is just me being envious. He's got great hair. I mean, he's got, mm-hmm. and the bar for me is low. Like, you have great hair to me, and you don't have much, but your hair's not all that cool. <laughs> but Luke Rhodes has, like, Fabio kind of great hair. And he's a handsome dude, I'm sure, and he's, you know, and, and he's in great shape. He's an NFL football player. So I just, I watch him walk around the locker room and just think, you think you look good, don't you? It pisses me off, actually, because uh, he's almost perfect. Uh, so look good, play good, Luke Rhodes, yeah. This has got to be the next Greg Doyle column now. Maybe the bye week or something like that. Profile on Luke Rhodes and his hair. Well, but I'm not sure. Like, I can just say what I said and hope that people don't really focus on it and move on. But if I write a story about Luke Rhodes and Luke Rhodes and how he looks, and that'll stick forever. You know, people, Google, it'll follow me around forever. And it's kind of creepy that I'm po- talking about how a guy looks. I don't mean to be creepy. He just... I mean, he is what he is. You know, um, Rob Johnson, you remember him at IU, Robert Johnson. Going yeah, yeah. About four years ago, he was a senior and had an emotional senior day, and I wrote about it and and wrote that, uh, you know, until this moment, I've never really been fond of Rob Johnson for the same reason I said that about Luke Rhodes, is that he just kind of looked perfect. He had the great, cool hair. Um, 
you know, if I was a basketball player, I'd want to look like that. You know, not too tall, but tall and, and nice, you know, NBA kind of body. And anyway, I thought he looked I, – I didn't like him because he looked too good. And uh, then I got to know him like, wow, you're a sweet kid. I like you a lot. And uh, so, yeah, I, I can do creepy, creepy things sometimes. <laughs> Let's talk about some of the bad things. Probably really the only bad things to come from um, Sunday's win, and that, that was the injuries, um, notably Paris Campbell. Malik Hooker as well, but I, I think especially, Greg, you were hoping that this was going to be the breakout year for Campbell, and you wonder, even if it's not a season-ending injury, if we're going to have to wait until year three to really see what he can do. Yeah, when you talk about it's MCL and PCL, they don't know if it needs surgery, but I mean, he's clearly going to go on the injury reserve, and, and you can come off it. You know, This is one of those deals where if it was the old-fashioned injury reserve, he'd probably be done for the year. Because he's going to miss a lot of time. But you can stash a guy on IR and maybe get him back. So we will see. I mean, he looked so good in week one. Hell, the first – well, the second play of the game, his first touch, they like him so much, they give him an end around. He gets seven yards, looks great. I mean, he – you know, your first touch, that's pretty good. He could be a special pro. I think uh, – I mean, you just look at his film at Ohio State, you, you think that. and you, you look at him now, you look how, how big he is. He's not tall, but he's big and fast, and he could be special. And – so far, it's not happening for him, and it's not just one. It's it's just one thing after another. You, you you just feel terrible for the guy, and then of course Malik Hooker gets lost in the lost in the, in the mess of all that, and he's he's a young player with a lot of upside also, and his you know he he had a much worse injury than Achilles, and it's two Ohio State guys. Terrible luck. We ever going to see Malik Hooker in a Colts uniform again? No, uh, uh-uh. because you know this is, and I know you know that. Um, this is year five, whatever year it is. This is his his last year before you get your next contract. And the Colts had the option to extend him before because that's what you do with the really good players that you really believe in. Whatever year he's in, this is the year where you extend him if you want to keep him. And you don't extend him if you kind of just hope they finally show something in their last year. And and Malik has shown shown plenty, but he hadn't shown enough like to, you're going to build around him at safety. And now he'll never get that chance. And he'll be injured. So, mm-hmm. no, he won't be back. I, I, the other thing that worries me about Paris, and, and you know this, Greg, we always we're always kind of nitpicking and, and looking at what a general manager or what a coach does. And what I think is frustrating for Colts fans is you look at the Campbell pick, and in fairness to Campbell, he hasn't been able to show what he can do because physically he hasn't been allowed to. But I don't know if you watched DK Metcalf on Sunday night or uh, Terry McLaren, the the former uh, Cathedral standout who now is is having a great start to his career with the Redskins, or A.J. Brown in Tennessee who had a monster rookie year with Ryan Tannehill. All of these receivers that were picked after and around the Paris Campbell pick seemingly have hit. It was a very deep wide receiver draft, and I think some Colts fans are going to look at that and be like, hey, if Campbell you know can't stay healthy or if he just straight busts out, uh, I think Ballard is going to be um, hurt by that. Well, he will if Campbell uh, comes back to full health and never pans out. Sure. I, I would hope that I – mean, I would really hope that nobody holds it against Ballard that you drafted a guy that couldn't stay healthy. Uh, that's just – unless Campbell had – and I don't know, but I don't think he had a litany of injuries. It's, it's possible he was injured at Ohio State. I mean, that's big-time football, and people do get hurt. So, anyway, I, I hope that that – you know, Ballard has done such an – inarguably great job upgrading this roster now and i think reich's a good coach but the coaching has to get the most of it the players have to do what they're supposed to do and they got to get a break here and there because football has a lot of luck but there's just there's no question you look at this roster you look what happened sunday you look at all the guys got got hurt and yeah it was hooker and campbell early but a lot of guys went out uh, i mean rocky sin doesn't show up at all xavier rhodes leaves the game there were more and they just kept plugging in plugging in guys plugging in guys plugging in guys and and 
kept rolling, and that can't happen forever. But this Colts team, their starting lineup is great, and their depth is really good. And I just, I really believe in Ballard, and, and I believe, I believe in Paris Campbell. I just hope the guy can stay healthy. There's really no reason why this can't be a playoff team and a division contender, um, even with the disappointing performance week one in Jacksonville aside. Uh, you were there at the at the Minnesota Stadium, correct? I was not. Okay. See, I was going to add, I, I wasn't 100% sure if you were or not. And I know that they've got, you know, rules and regulations about that. And they're really capping who everybody can send. Because I was interested to hear firsthand what the um, the game day experience was like with 2,500 fans. But if, if you weren't there, I guess, you know, none of us can really speak to that. I did see a couple of the TV people that were there. But it, it had to have been, it, it was strange just for me, Greg, to look at people's tweets before the game or even Ursay with this shot of the empty stadium and be like, this is just kind of surreal. Yeah, I'll be at the game this Sunday. Um, I had the chance to go this past week, just for full disclosure. Uh, they had an extra seat, and they offered to the star or whatever, and star asked me if I wanted to go, and I said, I'll, I'll go. But if we have anybody who kind of being on location matters more than me, and we had a guy, Michael McCleary, was doing a story about what you're talking about, the empty stadium, and the fans are here, and what do you think? And he did a great story, like minute by minute, not not every minute, but he would, he put like 9.38, here's what's happening, 10.30, here's what's happening. Really good story. Anyway, I'll be going this Sunday. Um, the one thing that I noticed that was just really bizarre was the noise. Um, it almost sounded like, you know, if you're uh, just outside a stadium or if there's a crowd off in the distance, you can hear them, but they're really not close. It kind of sounded mm -hmm. like that. It almost sounded like you're walking up to a full uh, basketball arena, but the doors are closed and you're on the outside. You can hear them in there, but it's kind of muted. That's what it sounded like. It didn't sound like it was an actual crowd watching an actual game. It sounded like it was a, a crowd watching something else. Yeah, I think the sound was just like bouncing around in there because Lucas Oil Stadium is kind of cavernous as it is. And I, I don't think that the sound really had anywhere to go. So it was just coming right back and the TV mics were picking that up. But it was it was odd. And, and obviously there'll be a slightly larger crowd this Sunday. What is it, 7,500? So, um, but still that's, I mean, we're talking about 10%. I think Lucas Oil Stadium is 70K. So we're talking about around 10% capacity. It's, not close to what you would get for a normal uh, home opener type crowd. Uh, Jet, Colts and Jets coming up Sunday. We'll, we'll of course, talk about that game um, next week in, in the episode of, of Doyle and Derek. But I, I wanted to switch gears into college sports because the Big Ten did, in fact, reverse course. Also, I noticed today that Notre Dame has four positive COVID tests. So now their game with Wake Forest may or may not be in question. Both teams do have a, a bye week. Um, I think the first week of October. So if something happened, maybe you could delay it to then. But um, I, Greg, I think we knew this was coming with the Big Ten, that, that we were heading this way and that they were going to make this decision. But now that it's, I guess, finally final, um, how do you think that things are going to proceed here? Um, well, I think that the season will start. I mean, obviously, they're, they're going to get to they're going to get to the starting blocks um i don't think it'll i don't think it'll end um you know where the, the timing is just it is what it is but tw flu season's coming up and and obviously we're in the middle of covid season for the next couple of years probably so i just don't see how enough players can stay healthy i don't see enough campuses can stay open i, I think that I mean, we're already seeing breakouts all over the country at various schools not every one of them but a lot of them and I just think eventually enough of these going to happen that enough teams get shut down. They're going to just cancel the season. I don't think every single team is going to have outbreaks that mean nobody can play, but you know, it takes two teams to play and it, and it takes, mm -hmm. you know, 30 or 40 to have a season worth having. And anyway, I, I think they'll start. I, my, my concern with all of this has always been 
and there will be people out there that refer to people like me, and I guess you, but um, for sure me, as a Corona bro. And uh, if you're using that word, for the love of God, think for yourself. Um, it means you're following some idiot on some website. We know who the idiot is. Mean-spirited jackal. And he uses Corona bros as if people like you and me are rooting against sports to happen. Um, anyway, so if, if I'm a Corona bro, so be it. But the problem for, for folks like me has never been, I'm afraid that the kicker at, at Indiana or the, the receiver, David Belt, Purdue, I'm afraid these guys are going to get sick and die. It's, ne- it's never been that. It's, it's not that. What it is, is we, we want to get through this virus. We want it to be over. And the sooner we can get through it, obviously, the better. And the more we send mixed messages, which is telling, telling college campuses, it's okay for 85 players to practice and bang into each other and do all that stuff and then play teams from other states. It, all of this is okay. Travel, that's all okay. But the rest of you kids on campus, we sure do hope you avoid those frat parties. And we don't want you going out you know, to a, to a nightclub and a bar and karaokeing, and we don't want you keep doing, going to campgrounds and – we don't want you to do all those things that college kids always do. It's okay for the football players to do what they do, which is in, in a way more dangerous than you guys, but you guys need to watch yourself. I, it's just a mixed message, and there's no way to get through this with little half measures, which is what we're doing right now. You think that they could pull off a, a bubble college hoops-wise in the convention center? I know you talked to Ryan Vaughn for one of your columns um, over the past couple of days, and, and they appear to be confident that they could pull something like that off. And, of course, because – their sports core and, and they are always way, way ahead of everybody else. They've got a whole plan and, and, a, and everything already organized and ready to go. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think that they can pull that off. Um, and, and I think that Orlando has given everybody a blueprint for how to do it. And, and the sports corp has drew, drew up a 16 page blueprint for how to do it. And it can happen here. It can happen in a lot of towns. I, I think, I mean, I like the odds of college basketball, managing its season um, better than college football when all is said and done, if they do the bubbles. And I don't mean a bubble for three months. I don't, I'm not a, I don't believe college athletes ought to be in a bubble for three months. But if they do a whole bunch of two-week bubbles, like let's, let's send the Big Ten to Indianapolis for 14 days and play seven games and do it again in a month or something. And, you know, you get 14 games and, and then have another couple bubbles for some non-conference games. And you can do that around the country if they can find bubbles in other, other states – I can see that working uh, completely, and I'd love that. So I'm not Mr. Corona Bro, don't give me sports. I'm just Mr. Corona Bro, let's, can we please get through this pandemic without making it worse? And I'm just sick of all these people thinking it's okay that these college kids are going to get it because they're not going to die. It's not okay because the more they get it, the more the rest of us are going to get it. It'll never go away. Nobody wants to hear the truth. I don't understand it. You'd rather hear someone tell you, oh, one day we're going to wake up and it'll be gone. No, that's not how it works. Goddamn. Anyway, that's how it goes. Nobody doesn't want sports, you know, even people that, you know, want to be cautious about this. It's just people want to know what the plan is. It can't the plan can't just be let's just have a season like that can't be the plan. You you have to have some precautions and a blueprint in standards and all of that requirements that are in place to you can't ensure 100 percent safety and you can't ensure that no one is going to contract COVID. And even you can't ensure that nobody's going to die that, you know, may know somebody who knows somebody somewhere down the line. You know, who knows? We can't trace all of that, right? But you just have to try to do the best that you can. And, and I think some people are like, well, let's just, let's just forget that, it, that it's even around and let's just open it all up. And I, I just don't think that any of that is feasible. Did Ryan say anything about would this be Big Ten only, Greg? Or would they be open, like, let's say if 
I, I can't imagine that the Mac or, you know, I, I think we're talking mostly about the big programs, Power 5S and Big East, so Power 6 in college basketball programs. But did he talk about that being exclusive to Midwestern teams or Big Ten teams? No. Uh, the, the only thing that makes it semi-exclusive, although the money's negotiable, they, the, their, their 16-page handout says, you know, it, it starts at $90,000 for a team. But it doesn't make it clear. $90,000, is that for a week in the bubble? Is that $90,000 per night? What is that? And, and I was asking them that, and they said, well, it's negotiable. It's fluid. So it's almost like you put you drive by a car that says, for sale, $8,000, OBO, or best offer. They put $90,000 in there, but it really doesn't mean anything. The price could could rule some schools out. But I will tell you, to answer your question, Ryan Vaughn told me that the Sports Corp sent that 16-page document to every Division One school in the country and to every conference in the country. They are, if you can get here, the Sports Corp will put you up. And one of the things in the, their selling points was the airport. It, well, two selling points. One is Indianapolis is a half a day's drive for X number of states, a big number. And the airport is fabulous and great. So if you can get your body, your team to, to Indianapolis, we'll take care of the rest. So I, I, I like I like the odds. Now, you can only put so many teams here, but there's going to be a lot of play, like East Tennessee State, for crying out loud, is talking about having a bubble on their campus. You know, I have no idea what they have there. It can't be much, but, I mean, these can happen and will happen probably around the country because, you know, necessity is the mother, they say, of inventions. And so the corona is a mother all by itself. So they're going to do something. We're going to see something happening. And I hope we see it happening here. It'll be great for downtown hotels and restaurants. Yeah, from a selfish standpoint, um, it would be great to see it. But also from a logistical standpoint, it makes the most sense because you have smaller rosters and the downtown hotels to the convention center, it's all walkable. So you can really kind of keep tabs on everybody. I'm with you, Greg, and we've talked about this on past episodes. I'm really uncomfortable with the idea that you would take these kids for three, four months and put them in a bubble because I, I don't think you can treat them like professionals. I just don't I don't think you can have it both ways. You can't keep up the illusion of amateurism and then forcibly put these, quote unquote, student athletes in, a, in isolation basically for three months. I think you can do that in the NBA. You can't do that in college shoots. But um, I'm intrigued by this idea because I, I was worried that we were going to have any sort of a plan at all. And at least college basketball seemingly has been a lot more proactive than college football was because it felt like college football waited until August and was like, oh, crap, I, I guess we might have a season now. What, what are we going to do? Like, it, it didn't feel like anything was planned for college football, whereas with college basketball, hopefully it'll get in front of this a little bit. Yeah, it's really odd. It's something that Coach K at Duke has been talking about since I covered Duke for the Charlotte Observer in 19... Uh, 99. Um, he's been talking about having a college basketball, you know, czar, C-Z-A-R, something, just to give it some uniformity. Um, so they don't have things like like uh, football has. So, uh, but they, they kind of have done that on the college basketball side, and they need football needs someone like Nick Saban, I guess, to talk about it now, or banging the drum, because they need that same help, because they don't, they're screwed up. Hey, there's some news with the Colts, uh, small news, expected news, but they put Paris Campbell and Malik Hooker on it, IR. But they signed to the practice squad our favorite tight end, Hale Hinches. Yeah, I saw that. And I, I saw a report that they might be bringing Marcus Johnson back too. They did not. They, they, they did not, not bring him back. That, though. No, okay. they, they didn't do it. Um, you know, they, they've got, uh, they've got Darius Fountain, and I think they like him. So I, I saw Marcus Johnson. I'm not sure why you bring him here. 
unless you're going to put Fountain on the scout team. And I think Fountain's ready to go. So I, I don't think Marcus Johnson makes sense here. How about Mo Ali Cox on Sunday? We didn't even talk about that. Bouncing back from that early flub, and then he had a fantastic game. Yeah, he's a, I mean, he's a special athlete. You, you know, D1 basketball player, NFL football player, it speaks for itself. He's a special athlete. He's got enormous hands, nicest guy ever, works hard, wants to be really good, is a great athlete. And we've seen there, there's something about uh, if, if you're a really good, agile, college basketball power forward, for whatever reason, you are a pro tight end. It just, it, you, you just are. You can do it. Antonio Gates is a long – I mean, hell, last year the Colts had three or four tight ends in the tight end room. I think every one of them was a college basketball player. So he's a special athlete with great hands and can block. I mean, he, he they've always said about him is that he's like a Jack Doyle kind of blocker. He's a guy He's like an extra tackle. And no one's ever said he couldn't catch or run, but it's always been he's great in the run game. Well, then he goes and does what he does, you know, five catches, 100 and something yards. I mean, he's great in the pass game, too. And I'm not saying he's a pro bowler. We're going to see this every week. But if you can do that once, and you can do that against a Vikings team that has Harrison Smith and other guys in the in the back in the secondary, pretty good. I mean, it's a true example of how incredible it is just to make an NFL roster of how athletic you have to be. Because here's Moale Cox, who really is a fringe NFL player and has been his entire career, has been like a third or fourth string guy. And you look at him and I can't even dream or fathom of doing the things athletically on a football field or a basketball court that he can do. And this is a guy that is like a third or fourth string player under normal circumstances. It really is incredible. Yeah, um, but what he might have done is is shown that he's more than that. I mean, that catch he made, I guess it was last year, that one-handed catch was just absurd. I mean, just, you know, that's not a fluke and it's absurd and, it was he the Raiders just, game, wasn't it, from two years ago? Is that the one you're talking about? Was it the Raiders two? I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah. I, I remember the catch was spectacular. It's been a while, though. But, you know, he's a guy that, because you're behind Jack Doyle and Eric Ebron last year and week one, Doyle's there, uh, he just hasn't had, got the snaps. Um, but now he's getting the snaps. And some guys, you give him the snaps. And like Jonathan Taylor, you give him the snaps, and he'll run for 100 yards. So Mo Ali Cox, I'll be very, very anxious to see what he can do going forward because I – that game, I don't expect him to average five for 110, but if he if he ends the year with a thousand receiving yards, which is on average, you know, sixty something a game, I can see that for sure. Wanted to end on this. It feels like we we always ultimately end up disagreeing on these things. Like you weren't um, a big fan of the skinny jeans and some of the other stuff that I brought up on the the episode that were non sports related. But uh, I love fall. Like I'm the most I'm the most basic person ever. Like I love pumpkin spice lattes and. I like wearing scarves and those vests, that the zip vests, where it's not quite cold enough for a coat, but you just throw a vest on like over a flannel, and then you throw like Converse's on. It's my absolute number one favorite season. Yeah, I'm with you. Fall, fall is my favorite. Spring is next. And I guess everybody would say that. I mean, who says I like the coldest time of year or I like the hottest? But yeah, these these in between seasons are the best. And this morning I had pumpkin spice coffee. It was. Uh, I think it's Green Mountain. Green Mountain offers it, and my Kroger. I do all my shopping at Kroger, clothes and otherwise. They offered some Green Mountain coffee. I had a coupon. If you buy five of any five things that have these red tags on them, five of them, you get $5 off. So I go around looking for five of them, and, and I basically got the Green Mountain coffee for free. Pumpkin spice. So I, that's how you win, baby. You don't say Kroger's? You spend a lot of time in Cincinnati. I'm shocked. You don't I, I have the S on it? Show, show me an S on the sign, and I'll say it. If there's no S, I won't say it. <laughs> I've never been someone... Um, who's, <laughs> who has added letters to words yeah. that don't exist. I don't, I don't understand, you know, my, 
my girl, my girlfriend Whitney does. She adds S to Kroger sometimes, and she'll yep. catch herself and go Kroger. And I mean, it doesn't bother me, but no, I don't. I don't understand adding S's to it. I guess if you grow up and everybody around you does it, you know. Like I grew up in Mississippi, everybody's speaking Southern, so I speak it too. So I understand that. But yeah, no, Kro- there's one Kroger singular, and the best Kroger is Emerson and Catalina Road in Greenwood. Incredible. That used to be mine, except it was across the street, and they flipped it to the other side. Since I mean, I, I haven't lived down there in almost ten years, but it used to be. They, it used to be where the mattress store is. Across yeah, the that one was older, right? It used yeah. to be uh, the mattress store is weekends only. Um, but yeah, th- that was a, an aging Kroger, and they put a brand new one across the street. And I get my clothes from there. You know, I, I'm big into the <laughs> if I get to cover any games this year, I'll go out and dress like this. I'm big into the hoodie and a blazer look. I love a hoodie and a blazer, and I get my hoodies from Kroger. Hoodie and a blazer? A hoodie with a blazer. Yeah, I, I don't. Th- I've never seen. I've never seen you or anyone else. I don't feel like wear a hoodie and a blazer. Well, look, my, my hips, my hipster dude friend who clearly, clearly adopts the hot look when it's hot. <laughs> yeah. The hoodie and the blazer is hot. It's hot, or at least it was. Okay, it was last winter. I don't know if it is this winter, but and maybe hot's the wrong word. It was acceptable, and some people did it. And it was, I think, a few people thought it might have looked cool, and I just thought, yes. I've never been a blazer guy because a, a blazer with jeans, you look like a, you look like one of those yeah. douchebag college professors. I don't want to do that. And a, a blazer with a tie, I'm not doing that. So, but I would like to wear a blazer, but it's got to be just right. The hoodie is just right. Yeah, we've really kind of laxed the rules on blazers. Like a couple of years ago, it became in vogue to to wear sneakers with uh, like like Jordans while wearing a blazer and. I've never really gotten that look, but I, I have yet to experience the hoodie blazer look. Maybe I'll, I'll check that out. While I'm doing that, I'm going to check out Greg's columns. You should as well. IndyStar.com and via the IndyStar app. Like and subscribe. Uh, the Colts Super Bowl blueprint from Sunday's game against Jacksonville. Indy open for business. Ryan Vaughn, a great interview in there from Indiana Sports Corps, um, which we, of course, talked about on today's pod. Colts and COVID and then the Big Ten's return. You can find all of it again. IndyStar.com and the IndyStar app. But until next time, we'll be back next week. Thanks so much, Greg. We'll see you then. Thanks, Derek. Yes, sir. Bye-bye.